If you would, please stand with me and we'll open with word this morning. We'll be reading 2 Timothy chapters 3 and 4 through verse 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, and proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed truth, men corrupted in their mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as it was to those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are all able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out from God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, I charge you in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus, who is judged the living and the dead, and by his appearing in the kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure the sound, will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Always be sober-minded, enduring, suffering, to do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Be seated. Good morning. We're going to pray, and we're going to jump in. As we've, uh, you know, one of the challenges in this current series is speaking to these big, huge subjects and endeavoring to cover them in one message. And so, here again today, as we're talking about the authority of God's Word and and the Scriptures that God's given to us, lots of things could be covered, no doubt, this morning. But I'm hoping in our time here, uh, we'll be able to cover a few things that will be helpful, uh, memorable, things you can take, things that you can hold on to, uh, things that can encourage you as we think about God's Word and its role an impact in our lives, okay? Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for another day. We thank you for giving to us your word. This was your word that was spoken. We're reminded back in Genesis, your word spoken in the beginning. All things came to be through your word. 
light came on the scene, the sun, the moon, and the stars through your spoken word. The waters and the seas were gathered together through your spoken word. The birds filled the sky. The the fish were swimming in the seas and the animals were roaming the earth through your spoken word. Mankind was created through your spoken word. Man came from the dust. Woman came from the flesh of the man. Your spoken word brought it all into being. This word that we have before us today is a word of truth. It's trustworthy. It's dependable. It never fails. It stands eternal. This book that we have before us today is a a book without equal. There's nothing that compares to it. It's a powerful book because, God, you're the one who's written it. You've given it to us. Your Holy Spirit breathed into holy men as they were writing these words, penning the very words that you deem fit. Lord, this day I ask that you would teach us your statutes. Lord, I believe that the problem here for many of us is not an ignorance of your word. The problem seems to be that we, your own people, have neglected your word. We've turned the other way. Like sheep, we've gone astray. We've forsaken your holy word. It's become like all the other books on the shelf. We've profaned your word in many ways. We've treated it as common and ordinary. And so, Lord, this morning I ask that you would forgive us for not handling your word rightly. would ask, Lord, that you would revive us by your word, that you would strengthen us according to your word, that you would renew our hearts and minds to stand firmly upon the truths of your word. Help us to see afresh what this word of yours can do in our lives and in the lives of others as we speak it freely. Father, I pray that our lives become evident signposts of your word at work in us. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to begin our time this morning by a reference to Exodus chapter 20. And if you have your Bibles and you look just at the first 17 verses there of Exodus chapter 20... I believe it's a good starting point for our discussion as we come to the subject matter of God's Word and the authority of God's Word. We look at Exodus 20 and it's a time when when God and His people are gathered together. The people are somewhat afraid based on what they're seeing. The mountain quaking, the thunderings, the lightnings, the trumpet, all this stuff that's going on. And then we get to Exodus 20 and God spoke all these words. Saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, you shall not make for yourself to carve image, any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, that's in the earth beneath, that's in the water under the earth. Right? You're not supposed to serve them. You're not supposed to bow down to them. He says, because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Commandment number three, you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord your God will not hold him guiltless who takes the name of the Lord in vain. Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath day 
to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work. On the seventh you shall rest. It's a Sabbath day. Commandment number five, honor your father and mother. That your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Commandment number six, you shall not murder. Commandment number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Commandment number eight, you shall not steal. Commandment nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And commandment ten, you shall not covet. Now you know these words of God as the ten commandments, right? That's what we know them as, the ten commandments. God's word given to his people. Commandments, not options. Commandments. God's prescribed way of living. And the first four come under the authority, under the banner of loving God, right? And the other six, really more uh, interpersonal, loving one another. As I was reading this, I, I, and I put this forward for you to consider this morning, think about how life would be different if we carried out these ten commandments alone. If we just took these ten, and that's all we had, and that's all we focused on, that's all we concentrated on, think about how life would be different if we actually carried out these commandments. Well, for one, the late night news would look differently. News is typically some, someone robbing some local store. News is typically someone killing someone, someone coveting what someone has. The local jails wouldn't be needed, would they? No one's spending their time stealing other stuff. No murderers. No covetous thievery. Families would stay together and not be so fractured, perhaps. Think about the households where children are honoring their parents, where obedience to dad and mom is the norm as opposed to the exception. Sunday morning worship just might be packed out. If we kept the Lord's day as holy and revered and understood six days of work, one day of rest, consider the impact in Christ's church and society. Our language would be easier on the ears, perhaps, out of reverence for the Lord. His name would be treated as it ought, not a profaning of his name, a misusing of his name, but a holy reverence for the God of heaven. Our lives would also be rid of the clutter that, that consumes us with no other gods before us. Our lives would be free of the chaff. Following God, obeying Him would be the norm and not the exception. Bearing fruit for His kingdom would be regularly seen instead of seldom seen. And what about your life? How would you assess your own life today? Are you a man under authority are you a, a woman under authority? Are you a young man under authority? A young woman under authority today? Hopefully you have chosen to live your life under God's authority. I'm hoping you've chosen that. I'm hoping that perhaps after we're done today, if you've not chosen that, that would be something you would choose to do. If it is something you have chosen, something you desire, then what God says is what you do. 
where God sends you, that's where you go. When God speaks to you through his word, by his spirit, are you taking heed? Do you hear what he has to say and are you quick then to respond to his word? We're working through this series of what we believe as it pertains to Hope in Christ Church. And we've spoken the last three Sundays about each of the, the persons of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? That's where we've been the last three weeks. Our belief, listen, our belief in the Godhead is rooted in what these scriptures have to say. What we're talking about, what we're building on, these are all connected. Because when we ask the question, what does God have to say, what we're actually meaning by that is, what does he have to say in his word about? You see, the whole, all the premise, our presupposition when we approach this series is that God's word is true. Amen? It's true. This is what we stand upon. Standing on the promises of God. It's what we sing about. His word. What we believe. Now, it's not my purpose today to compile evidence for the truth of the Bible. I'm speaking, I believe, to a group of people who in large part believe the Bible already to be true. I'm not going to preach to the choir in terms of, of compiling evidence to try to convince you that this is true. I believe for the most part, we have people sitting in, the, in, in chairs this morning that believe it to be true. So I'm not going to look up all the evidence and present some evidence to try and convince you that this is true. I would want you to know that I'm not bypassing that either. There's plenty of evidence, friends, internally in here, but also externally from other sources for the validity and truth of the Bible. I simply want to define the parameters for the remainder of our message and our time here this morning. Instead of presenting where it came from, how it was structured, why the 66 books... I'm hoping that our time together in the Word gives us a handle this morning on whether we're living lives under the Word's authority. Because you see, owning a Bible, how many of you have the Bible with you? Anybody? Anybody have a Bible? Okay, some of you have a Bible. Owning a Bible doesn't make you a Christ follower. Having a Bible with you today doesn't make you a Christ follower. If we look at this aspect of having the word with us, when we have this word and we are, are careful to have this word, and even, you know, some of us, we, we might even use the word as a, uh, a part of the decor. We may have it on the coffee table at home. It might look really good in a certain spot in your home. It might look really good, but that doesn't make you a Christ follower. Being a part of a Christian school, a Christian campus, doesn't equate to you being a follower of Jesus. Just a few weeks ago, I was asked to do uh, some interviews for some prospective students for an annual scholarship opportunity up at my alma mater. I've enjoyed doing this for about five or six years, and it's been a real joy, it's been a real blessing to be a part of the process. Over 250 students vying for a limited number of scholarships and I interviewed on this particular day two young men, two seniors in high school, 
Uh, it was a 40-minute interview for each of them, just one-on-one across the table. And sample questions were given to me, but we were all, the interviewers were all also encouraged to ask our own questions, to evaluate each candidate very closely. Well, I had my Bible with me in the interview. I thought it appropriate to have my Bible with me in an interview where, where a, a young person was going to be coming on campus, a Christian campus. It's deemed a Christian campus. And he's, this person is applying for a community leadership scholarship. I can't think of anything better than to have God's word. If we're talking about leadership and we're talking about community, those are aspects that I think are very important to the word of God. So I had my Bible with me. I talked much of it and about it during the interview. I began by praying with these young men, taking them to the throne of grace, asking God to do the necessary work in them as they prepare to transition from high school to college. I asked them then questions about the Bible and tried to get a gauge on their relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I asked about their testimony. I had them and I wanted them to share with me how they came to know the Lord. I asked them about what difference the word had made in their life. One young man told me in response to the questions that his devotions, that was the word he used, his devotions hadn't been happening lately. The other young man told me that the Bible hadn't really been opened apart from Sundays. You know, with all of his schoolwork and his extracurricular activities... He didn't really have time right now for Bible reading. I was disappointed that two seniors in high school had little handle on God's word. Little handle. I think I'm being generous by admitting little. They had little interest, it seems, in his word. They knew about it. But they expressed little desire to have his word in them. Neither one of these young men were connected into a church either, by the way. No regular attendance in any local church. The perception I came away with is this. Both of these young men were expecting the college institution to fan into flame their lack of Bible intake. They had this assumption that a Christian college will solve my spiritual slothfulness. That was what I heard. I concluded both interviews by having these young men pray. Listen, you can tell a lot about a person by the content of their prayers. And I found out a lot just by listening to these young men pray. You know what I heard? I heard very stilted language. I heard, I'm very uncomfortable doing this. That's what I heard. Tell me, if you're uncomfortable praying, what does that say about your relationship with God? I gave both of them one charge at the conclusion of the interview. And I said something like this. 
If you get nothing else out of this interview, please hear me on this. Take up this word and read it every day. Every day. Take in this word each morning. See that it becomes a part of your day. Busyness is not an excuse. Extracurricular activities, it's not an excuse. Take the word in and watch what God will do with you, in you, and through you, as you read it, as you take it in. That was my charge to both of them. I would ask you this morning, what if you took part in a similar interview? What if you were the one on the other side of the table being interviewed? How might you respond if someone asked you some similar questions? And the point is not that you would have all the right answers. The point is that a Christ follower is intended to have a relationship with God. And a relationship with God through Jesus Christ includes a knowledge and understanding and a handle on his word. Paul says as much in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. He says, be diligent. One translation says, do your best. Right? Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Ecclesiastes 12.1 begins, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Timothy 4, 12 through 16, Paul encourages Timothy to be an example. Be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. Keep doing them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. You think the word was important to the apostle Paul? Absolutely it was. As a church, the Bible is intended not solely to be with us in our possession. The Bible is not intended to solely adorn our time of worship to just read passages of Scripture because that's what we ought to do. It's God's Word. We ought to read the Bible. It doesn't just adorn our time of worship. The Bible is given to us that we might walk in paths of righteousness, that we might spend our days in holy living, that we might know the truth... The truth that sets us free, right? It's the truth that sets us free. That we might know God's will for our lives during our brief stay here. That we might exercise faith. That we might read his word and take him at his word. You see, God has given us his word as the governing authority for how to live our lives. This word reveals who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is. We've covered some of that already. But it also tells us who we are. It tells us why we're here. It tells us what we're to be doing as pilgrims and sojourners. Amen? That's what it tells us. It gives us a roadmap, a blueprint for what we're to be about here in these days. And conversely, what we're not to be about during these days. So with the remainder of our time, I want to share three, it's up here on the board, three passages, Scripture. Three Scripture passages. I want to share eight pictures, and I want to share two patterns, right? Three passages of Scripture, Scripture passages, 
eight pictures and two patterns. Let's give us a big overview here of God's word. Okay? So these passages, I think, are going to be significant passages. In fact, a couple of them we've already heard from a little bit this morning. But three. I just want to give you three to kind of get a handle on. You can explore these three in your own time in greater detail. But I'm going to give you three. that can. That, what, what these three do, they hold up the necessity of God's word in our lives. And these eight scripture uh, pictures that I want to give to you, they represent the word of God. And then I'm going to close by giving these two scripture patterns. These are going to be examples of real people that show the word of God applied in real time. How does the word of God apply to a real person? A real, you may be thinking that this morning. I just want to end in that way. I want to show you two people who are living this out according to the word. So let me give you the passages. The first one's from Psalm 19. Was read this morning. And in particular, verses 7 through 11. The second one is Psalm 119. And the third one is 2 Timothy 3 16 and 17. I'll write those up and we'll just briefly go through some of them. Obviously, we're not going to read the entirety of Psalm 119 this morning. If you know Psalm 119, you know that's quite a lengthy psalm. But I am going to read to you those verses in Psalm 19 uh, as a place to begin here. Psalm 19. We look at Psalm 19. I'd just like to pick up in verse 7. And I want you to think through the significance of these three passages. They, They speak to the authority of God's word. Allow God's word to speak to you about God's word. Will you do that this morning? Okay. Verse 7, Psalm 19. If you have your Bible, please open to Psalm 19. It's a good place to turn. You know, we're going somewhere. It's good to have your eyes looking at it as it's being read. Um, It's it's a good thing to, to do that. It'll keep in you that way. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. By the way, each one of these verses, each one of these half verses, we could probably just have a message on on these okay but the law of the lord is perfect you know what the word perfect is perfect that's what it is god's word is perfect and listen because it's perfect listen to what it can do it can convert the soul faith comes by hearing and hearing by what word of god The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. This word has the power, and we'll talk about this in just a moment, the power of the word. This word has the ability, the power to convert the soul. Why wouldn't we take this word up? Some of us have been wondering why Uncle Joe, Uncle Fred, whatever, fill in the name. Still hasn't come to know the Lord. Have we trusted God's word to do the work that he says his word will do? Have we prayed? Have we we prayed to the Lord that, that this relative of yours, this friend of yours who's lost, 
would hear God's word? Do we believe God's word has the power, has the effect of converting one's soul? That's what it says. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. This word is sure. It's solid. It's reliable. It's dependable. Making wise the simple. There's a lot of people who need wisdom today for lots of different things, don't they? And perhaps you're sitting here today and you're going, yeah, I need wisdom right now for what I'm going through. Do you know that this word has been given to you so that you would gain wisdom, gain understanding, know how to apply your context, know how to walk through that? Testimony of the Lord. It, it, see, God is bearing witness of himself through his own word, isn't he? Huh? That's what he's doing. Keep reading. The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The statutes of the Lord are right. This word that we have is 100% altogether right. It's accurate. Contrary to what a lot of people want to say, a lot of people want to poke holes in it, and they want to say this and that about it, God's word testifies that it is right. It's right. If you're looking for a right answer for something, the Bible is always going to give you what's right. And listen, here's the result of having a word that's right. Here's what it ought to do. Here's, what it, here's the outcome of having a right word. It ought to impact our heart. Because we have God's word, it's a right word, it's a true word, altogether true. It ought to bring about rejoicing in our heart. Because there's nothing else like it, friends. You can't go anywhere else and find something that is exactly right, like God's word. You can stand on it, because it's right. Keep reading. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It's pure, unblemished, untarnished spotless what does it do enlightening the eyes enlightening the eyes you know we talked last week about the holy spirit one of the things he does is he illuminates right he allows us to see the psalmist says open my eyes that i may see wonderful things in your law open my eyes to see the word allows us to be able to see as the holy spirit is working in us and through his word he allows us to see he enlightens our eyes opens our eyes to see some of us when we come to the word and we read it it's it's for the first time we're 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 looking at it and we come to this realization it might even have been a passage that we've read time and time and time again but the word has such power behind it that we can read it and it has an enlightening effect praise god well the fear of the lord verse 9 it's clean it's clean the fear of the lord is clean Enduring forever. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. One writer says that the fear is the attitude of heart that seeks a right relationship to the fear source. So when you have a fear of the Lord, you have something in your heart that makes you want to be in a right relationship with God. The fear of the Lord is like a wall, it says, around your behavior that hems you in and protects you from making bad choices. The fear of the Lord is is clean. 
It's without blemish. It's, it's without delusion or defilement of any kind. And then the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They're true and righteous altogether. His judgments. These are His verdicts. His pronouncements. What God says is going to stand. More to be desired are they than gold. Uh, And just as a side note, verse 11. We'll put 11 in here too. By them your servant is warned. By these words your servant is warned. Listen, we all need a warning. We all need a wake-up call from time to time. In fact, it's not so bad to even have a warning every day. To be reminded every day of what this word is. What this word is intended to do in and through us. And our need for this word. In keeping what we find here in this word, in keeping them, there is great what? Reward. Is that reward going to be oftentimes found here on the face of this earth? Probably not. The great reward is we get to be with Jesus. We get to be with him in heaven. We get to be found faithful. When he returns, will he find us faithful? Will he, re- will he find us carriers of his word? People who desire to take his word in. People who desire to walk out what his word has to say. Keep in mind there's a reward in the end. Be faithful. Be found faithful. So we have these three passages. And the first one, Psalm 19, 7 through 11. The second one, just briefly touch on Psalm 119. Psalm 119. When you go to Psalm 119... One of the things that you find there in Psalm 119, by the way, just as a side note, uh, a great book uh, written by Christopher Ashe. It's called Bible Delight. And this is essentially a a book about Psalm 119. It's a devotional, uh, something that you you could use over the course of, you know, a couple months to study out Psalm 119. Okay? Found Found it helpful for me this week. I share that, pass that along to you. But essentially, when we come to Psalm 119, what we're coming to is we're coming to a man who's moved by the Holy Spirit. He's writing about a God, this God that he loves. And he's writing about this word that he loves. It's a man who loves God, and it's a man who loves God's word. Listen, they go together. You know those two young men I talked about earlier? It makes a lot of sense if you just think about it. There is no one, I'm going to go so far as to say no one, who really, truly has a love for this word apart from, unless they have a relationship with God himself. It's a relationship with God. It's out of that that flows my love for God's word. I can't manufacture a love for this word if I have not a relationship with God himself. And maybe that's where some of you are at. Maybe some of you for some time have been spinning your wheels about why, why can't I, I want to love this word. I, I really desire to have this word. But you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and you've found that the word just doesn't get taken up. Perhaps it has more to do with your relationship with God himself than it does with you not being able to read his Bible. I would want you to see that they're connected. That your love for God is intricately connected to your love for his word. 
here's an assignment for you. Psalm 119 might be the place that you just dwell for a long while. If you let Psalm 119 just kind of wash over you over time, day in, day out, and you get a glimpse of the psalmist's love for God and his love for God's word, I pray that would also be true for you in your own life. Psalm 119. Psalm 19, Psalm 119. And the passage that was read this morning from 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 3. I'm not going to touch as much on 14 and 15. We may use even some of that for next week as we talk about salvation because we're going to see again a connect between the scriptures and salvation, right? It's hard to disconnect those two. (laughs) But let's look at 16 and 17. All scripture, all scripture... Remember, as he's writing these words, all of the New Testament is not yet completed, at least not yet written out like we have it here today. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, or it's breathed by God. God breathed, right? Inspiration. It's given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So this Word of God is profitable. What's it profitable for? Let's look. Here's four things. The Bible tells us this is four things it's profitable for. For doctrine, that's a fancy word for teaching, okay? For reproof, that's the one we don't like out of the four. Rebuke is another substitute word. Reproof or rebuke. But praise God, it doesn't leave us there with reproof or rebuke. But it goes on, it says, for correction. The word of God corrects us. It doesn't just say, bonk, you did something wrong and leave it there. No, it corrects us. What else does it do? Fourth. It's good for instruction. It's profitable for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, mature, full, thoroughly equipped, thoroughly furnished for every good work. That's what this word's for. It's profitable for these things. Three passages of Scripture foundational passages of scripture that speak to the authority of God's word in our life, the benefits of God's word in our life. Psalm 19, 7 through 11, really in many ways, church, Psalm 19, 7 through 11 is is the summary of a longer Psalm 119, really. Okay, it's a good way to think about it at least. And then we've got 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So write those down if you don't have them written down. Keep a hold of those, pocket those, go back to those. I want you to understand that when Paul is writing in 2 Timothy 3, he's writing that in the the context of of persecution, these perilous last days. Christians are really being persecuted at this time for living out their faith. He says, deceivers are bad and it's only going to get worse, Timothy. But he says, nevertheless, the call is to hold on to what you learned. Stay true to the word that you were taught. And church, that's important for not just Paul to Timothy, it's important for us today because we too live in perilous times. If you haven't checked lately, a lot of those lovers that he talks about in chapter 3, lovers of pleasure, lovers of self, lovers of money, rather than lovers of God, that's the world we live in today. And yet in that kind of world, in that kind of context... Paul's word still holds true for us today. Hold true to the word. Stand strong on the word. 
It's profitable for your soul. All right, let me give you some scripture pictures here real quick. And these are going to be, these are going to be quick. Here's the first one. Fire. Here's the first picture. Fire. Jeremiah 5, 14. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, because you speak this word, which was a lying word, by the way, in the context. Behold, he says, I will make my words in your mouth, Jeremiah, fire. And this people would, and it shall devour them. So I want you to imagine this morning God's word as fire and the people as kindling. Think about that. God's word as fire and the people as kindling. You know, I was reminded as I was looking at John chapter 5, while the word fire is not used, there's, there's very much a judgmental element involved. Jesus is telling the folks, he says, Do not think that I shall accuse you before the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. He wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You know, we think about fire, we think about judgment, right? We think about condemnation. Fire for those who do not believe in Jesus and his words. Fire. His words like fire. All right, here's the second one. So we have fire. Here's another picture. The word as sword, right? The word as the sword. Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and attitudes or intents of the heart. Ephesians 6, 17, remember? The armor of God. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Right? How many of you grew up with sword drills? Anybody remember that? Sword drills growing up? Yeah, it was an interesting thing. In fact, if you have your Bible, you can just set it on your lap for just a moment. And, and that was kind of the exercise. You'd start, everybody have it on their lap, and they couldn't have their hands in, in the pages. And, but, but the moderator would say, okay, uh, turn to Galatians 5.1, and then go. And they say, go, and then, pew, and then you'd turn, and you'd turn to Galatians 5.1, and you'd stand up, and you'd read, stand fast, therefore, in liberty, right? And you'd read the verse. The first one, it was, it was an exercise to see if you knew how to navigate your way through the scriptures. To, to help sharpen, one, to be able to find passages of scripture in the Bible. It got you ready for the battle. Think about it. The sword. This sword, friends, cuts deep. It penetrates. By the way, as a side note, I think it's one of the reasons why some people choose not to read it. They read it in it cuts it penetrates it that does speak think of your bible as a sword that prepares you for battle remember that the, this sword of the spirit this word is your only offensive weapon in the battle according to ephesians 6 it's a sharp sword and it's powerful it's sharper than any two-edged sword have you ever seen a two-edged sword? I haven't. I can imagine what it is, though. I've seen one that has a, you know, a sharp blade on one end. 
a two-edged sword. This word that we have is a powerful sword. Cuts, penetrates, judges the thoughts and intents of our hearts. It's a sword. What else is it? What else? Here's the third one. I love this image, this picture. It's a hammer. A ha- oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, all you have to do is ride on the board and you just, boom, hammer. Well, I'm not making it up. The Bible actually gives us this picture. Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word. It first says, is not my word like a fire, which we've already talked about. But he goes on, he says, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Think about a hammer that breaks this big rock. Boom! Breaks it in pieces. That's what our word does that we've been given. The word serves as a hammer. Picture this word before you as a hammer. A hammer that breaks rocks into pieces. The picture is one of strength, isn't it? It's one of power. His word has the power to break hard things. Listen, this word can even break Hard hearts. Remember earlier we read Psalm 19? The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It's like a hammer. A hard heart is nothing to God. His word can break that hard heart. It can be the hammer. It's a powerful picture. It's a powerful image. Hammer of God's word. Let's keep moving. Number four. Seed. Seed. By the way, I didn't make these up as we're going along. There's two other resources that I share with you that are helpful in this, what we're talking about with the pictures. Uh, both of these are by James McDonald. Okay, you probably know of him, heard him. Uh, one of them is called God Wrote a Book. Love the title. And the other one is called Ten Choices. And in this book, Ten Choices, one of the chapters is specifically on choosing God's word as your authority in your life. Fantastic chapter. Encourage you to read it. So two books, just as resources in this particular realm, what we're talking about this morning. So the seed. Luke chapter 8, Jesus is talking about the parables, right? And the parables, and he's defining, he's giving definition of the sower. And he says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Luke 8, 11. He tells us what the seed is. It's the word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, 22 and 23 says, Love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Picture the seed of God's word, listen, bearing fruit in your life. Plant the seed of God's word, take it into your mind, hide it in your heart, And watch what God does over time in your life as you commit yourself to his word. The word as a seed. I know we got some farmers in the audience. We got some, some gardeners. People who plant in seeds. And you can relate to this. When you plant your seed in the ground, you tend to it over time. You water it. You make sure the weeds are are not overtaking it. You guard the seed that you planted in the ground. You, you take great care to see that the seed comes to fruition. You realize in this whole process, 
It takes time for it to grow. The seed takes time to mature. It takes time to bear fruit. James says we're to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The word as seed. Plant it deep. Nurture it. Watch what God does with his word in you. You know the line of the song we sing. Take your truth, plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness. The word is seed. All right, what's the fifth one? The fifth one is this. Milk. Milk. The word is milk. First Peter 2, 2 and 3. As newborn babes. You get the picture already? Newborn babes. Newborn babes, what do they like to do? They like milk. They like milk. Milk, milk, milk. As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may, what? Grow thereby. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. You know the commercial, remember the commercial? I don't know how long ago it was. I don't watch commercials today, so it had to have been a long time ago. I just remember, milk does your body good. Remember that phrase? Remember that line? Milk does your body good? It does your body good. It really does your body. It, it helps build strong bones, according to what people say. It's nourishing. It's refreshing. It really is good for your body. But milk, as it pertains to God's word, is nourishing to your soul. How often has the word of God been like milk? How long has it been refreshing to you, bringing health to your bones, as the proper writer says? A good word. See, his good word grows us and builds us up in the faith. Consistent word intake brings maturity. Is there a desire for the milk of God's word in your life? Let's go from milk and let's go to this number six. Meat. From milk to meat, right? God's word is milk, no doubt. It's also intended to be meat. Hebrews 5. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. Remember, we just talked about milk. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food, meat, belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In other words, by reason of use, you've picked up this word. It's a daily deal. You, you get into this word every day. You're making sure you're feeding yourself in this word. You don't rely on the pastor on a Sunday to be your only food intake. No, this word is your meat. You desire to be taught by God. good number of you here, I would imagine, enjoy a nice steak on a special occasion. Anybody? Okay. Yeah, good. It's been a while, it seems, since I had one, but I, I, I always enjoy it whenever I had an opportunity. Steak, baked potatoes, salad, you get the picture, right? In order to eat that steak, you need to cut into it. It takes a little work to eat a steak, doesn't it? You get your knife and your fork out, cut into it. But a steak that's cooked just the way you like it goes down with great delight, doesn't it? Listen, there's a place for God's word as milk. But there's also a place for God's word as meat. Some of you have been feeding on milk your entire life. You are content with milk. The word of God is meat for your soul. 
The implication of the scriptures is that you are to make progress. God intends for you to move on from milk to meat. Do we hear that? He, that's, he intends for us to move from milk to meat. From immaturity to maturity in Christ. So what's it mean? It means we need to dig in. It means there might be some work for us to do. It means we might have to discipline ourselves. Ah, Some of us don't like that word. But it's true. It takes discipline to dive into the word. But it will satisfy your soul in ways that you've never imagined, friends. Number seven, we're moving. We're moving. I'm getting good exercise this morning. Here we go. Number seven, the word is light, right? The word is light. You probably already know the verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, right? Psalm 119, 105. Want to know why so many people are stumbling around, bumbling around in darkness? They do not have the light of God's word in them. Operating by the light of God's word provides a pathway for navigating this difficult life. And it is a difficult life. Psalm 119, 130 says, The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. See, those who have the light of God's word in them, they walk a different path. They walk by faith. They walk trusting in the Lord with all of their heart. They walk with an acknowledgement of God's ways in all things. They walk holding on to the promise that God will direct their steps. And so when he shines the light of his word, his followers trust it and they walk in it. We sing trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word. Listen, here's what happens. The hymn writer got it right on point. What a glory he sheds on our way. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word. Number eight, last one. Last picture. Are you getting these pictures? Are you seeing these pictures? Okay. Here's the last one. What's the last one? I forgot it. I got to walk back over here. Isn't that terrible? I forgot it. All right, here we go. Now I remembered it. Mirror. None of you have ever forgotten anything before, have you? Okay, good. Mirror. Mirror. James chapter 1, 23 to 25. If anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. He will be blessed in what he does. A writer said that God's word shows us, as we think about the mirror, shows us ourselves. It confronts us with truth. It convicts us about our true need. It's a mirror. shows us. Honestly, it's not going to lie to us. It's going to tell us who we really are. It's going to tell us who God really is. And it's going to then point out to us that great chasm that exists between who you are and who God is. Ah! It's a mirror. Some of you in here are are perhaps a bit too familiar with the mirror. Some of you probably know what I'm talking about. You, You look in the mirror a lot. 
Maybe the next time you look in the mirror, maybe it would be a reminder that this word serves as a mirror. How often have you opened it and saw something in yourself that needed correcting, that needed fixing, needed a turnabout? How often have you opened the word and you've seen something that you immediately need to repent of in your life? How often have you listened to a message and wondered, how did he know what was going on in my life? Did the pastor talk to my spouse about this one? I've heard messages that have so connected to where I'm at in my life. And you walk away and you just start scratching your head. It's like, how did he know that? The word is a mirror. The word speaks to us. It shows us who we are. It allows you to see who God is. And so we have these three scriptures. We have these eight pictures as we close. Hang with me. I got two things and we're done. Okay? I'm going to give you two patterns. We've got three scripture passages. We've got eight scriptural pictures. And now I just want to conclude by giving you two scriptural patterns. The first scriptural pattern. gentleman by the name of William McKinley. Actually, that's not entirely correct. It's William Harrison. Boy, going from here to over there, the brain just goes boop. Uh, That's okay. William Harrison. William Harrison, you may not know William Harrison. Uh, Kent Hughes, in his book, uh, Disciplines of a Godly Man, he has a chapter in this book, which is fantastic. It speaks to uh, the discipline of the mind. You know, what we're talking about with God's word is so important that we are renewing our mind through God's word. And he shares in, in this chapter, The Discipline of the Mind, a story about this man, Lieutenant General William Harrison. He was the most decorated soldier in the 30th Infantry Division, rated by General Eisenhower as the number one infantry division in the World War II. General Harrison was the first American to enter Belgium. He did it at the head of the Allied forces. He, got, he received all these medals. But more important than the medals... He goes on and says, General Harrison was a soldier's soldier who led a busy, ultra-kinetic life, but he was also an amazing man of the word. When he was a 20-year-old West Point cadet, 20 years old, he began reading the Old Testament through once a year and the New Testament four times a year. General Harrison did this until the end of his life. Even in the thick of war, he maintained his commitment by catching up during the two- and three-day respites for replacement and refitting which followed battles so that when the war ended, he was right on schedule. When, at the age of 90, his failing eyesight no longer permitted his discipline, he had read the Old Testament 70 times and the New Testament 280 times. No wonder his godliness and wisdom were proverbial and that the Lord used him for 18 fruitful years to lead a group called the Officers Christian Fellowship. General Harrison's story tells us two things, and this is what I want to point out about the pattern here of General Harrison. First, it's possible even for the busiest of us to systematically feed on God's word. No one could be busier or lead a more demanding life than General Harrison. The busyness excuse, throw it out the window. Here's the second thing we learned from his life. His life remains a demonstration of a mind programmed with God's word. 
A mind programmed with God's word. His closest associates say that every area of his life and each of the great problems he faced was informed by the scriptures. People marveled at his knowledge of the Bible and the ability to bring its light to every area of life. It's a great pattern and example of how one can take the word even in a busy, busy context such as war. And be faithful to the word of God. Let me give you the final scriptural pattern. You probably recognize this man. His name is Jesus. The most important scriptural pattern of what we're talking about. One who lived out the word. One who took the word. One who cited the word. One who knew the word inside and out. One who is called the word. This is where I want to end. I believe it's an important spot to end. It's a place that we need to end. We need to end with Jesus. He's the example. He's the pattern that we all need to be looking at. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. This is where we're going to end. Matthew chapter 4. You might remember, Spirit leads him up into the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil. I'm not going to read all 11 verses. But the pattern is this. In Jesus' life, when, he, when he's confronted with temptation by the evil one. I want you to remember these three words he uses. It is written. Every single time temptation is put forward by the evil one, the response from Jesus is, it is written. It is written. What's that all about? What's that mean? What's he doing? He's pulling up scripture. It's like, Scripture. 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 Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Right? Deuteronomy. He's quoting Scripture. Listen, how important it is when you find yourself in a, in a place of temptation, in a time of trial, in a time of testing, when you are pressed, what are you going to respond with? How are you going to respond? Will it be just like Jesus, the pattern that I want you to get? I want you to hold on to this pattern. He's the most important pattern here that we're talking about. He, he's very good about helping us understand how we too are to respond in our times of trial and temptation. It is written. The word of God. Three occasions Satan tempts Jesus. And on three occasions, Jesus is seen quoting the scriptures. Verse 4, it is written. Verse 7, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Verse 10, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. The word of God, friends, is intended to be our authority. It's intended to govern our lives. We are to be under its authority. God has breathed this word into place. He's given to us this word Out of his great love, he's provided and revealed to us his word of truth. We talked about three passages of scripture. We talked about eight pictures of the scripture. And we talked about two patterns. General William Harrison. And most importantly, our Lord and Savior, our rock, our redeemer, the word himself, Jesus Christ. Friends, take up his word as a church, 
would want you to know as we think about what we believe. In short, what we believe is what God has given to us in his word to believe. Some things in here are a lot more clear than another. And the things that he's clear about, we want to stand strong on those things. The things that maybe aren't so clear, well, we don't want to go out to the end of the branch and argue with brothers and sisters. That's not why he's given to us his word. Let's be clear on what his word does say. Let's walk in what his word says. Let's exhort one another daily as the day approaches and stir one another up about the word of God and walk as he's called us to walk in the light of his word. Amen? Let's do that together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for this word. Thank you for these examples. Thank you for these pictures of your word. Oh, Lord, I pray we just carry these pictures around with us. And carrying these pictures, it will help us and perhaps help us treat your word as it's intended to be treated. Father, I pray that we would continue to search your word and know that your word actually gives us input on why opening this Bible, taking it in is so important. What, What the benefit is of taking this word in in our lives. Father, I pray for each person in here that they would take up the word daily, every day. Not a day would go by without the word coming in. That every morning, Lord, we would be reminded to take in your word. It is our source of truth. It's our source of stability. In a world that wants to say all kinds of things that are false, all kinds of things that are perverse and wicked, Lord, we have been given this word to stand upon. And I pray, Lord, this church would stand daily in the word and we would talk about this word unashamedly. We would point other people to this word, point them to the truth found in this word. And Lord, as we do that, pray that you would equip us and help us to be ready for the persecution that's coming. I can now see, Lord, why Paul says to Timothy that those who are godly in Christ are going to go through suffering and persecution. Lord, as we stand on this word, it's going to happen. So Lord, I pray that you would prepare us Prepare us, open our eyes to see these wonderful things in your law that we might be able to not only grow up in you through your word, but Lord, as we grow to maturity, we would also grow to understand that we are about pleasing you with our lives. And I pray we would all be found faithful servants of yours in these days, these perilous days that we live. That we would see your word as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, that we would see your word as a wonderful treasure and reward that it is. And we would do our best to present ourselves before you as a workman, rightly dividing this word of truth. Through your spirit, Lord, may it be so. Grant us grace to speak your words each day. Open our eyes to see the opportunities before us and to put your word into play in the lives of others who need to hear this word that can convert their soul. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.